Okay, welcome to another edition of the Edlow Podcast. Uh, I want to thank everyone who subscribes and everyone who follows. We've seen quite an increase recently in uh, followers and an uptick in downloads. I really appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. Um, we're coming up on 50 episodes, and it's been uh, it's been a privilege. And this is a privilege as well. I am here with Ethan A. Poetic. Ethan, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself? I'm doing great. This is a, a kind of a new one for me. This is one where um, you actually reached out to me and, and told me that you feel that uh, you have a great story uh, to share. And and I looked at your website and it seems to be true. I mean, you you grew up. Where, where did you grow up? I'm originally from Coatesville, uh, home with the Coatesville Red Raiders, Rick Hamilton, and many nice. other great student athletes. Um the, the big change that happened was uh, when I was born, I ended up, uh, my dad ended up denying, that denying me that I was his, but he didn't know that my mom was pregnant, supposedly. It mm. wasn't until my aunt found out for herself. She checked out my behind my ears, my feet, my hands, my eyes, and she said, oh, this is my brother's child. Mm. And once my dad finally saw me, uh, there goes the doubts. The guy I'm named after... He actually has a twin named Eric, hmm. and they, him and my mom's family grew up in the same neighborhood, and eventually my mom decided to name me after Ethan because hmm. my dad didn't know I was born, or supposedly, and he wasn't there at the birth, and my parents were never like together together. Hmm. So one day after I was born, my mom called Ethan over and said, this is my child. He saw me in the bassinet. And then she told him, I named my son after you. And he was just very, like, surprised and felt welcomed. It wasn't until, like, 2016 when I finally got to meet him, Ethan. He was just as curious about me as I was curious about him. And we were eating at Chili's. We had a good lunch. And we just had a natural connection. Then he called his mom and asked her, where'd you get the name Ethan from? And she said, out the Bible. So I guess my name's a prophecy. Nice, nice. So now you, where did you grow up? What what city and state? Uh, I'm originally from Coatesville. What ended up happening was halfway or three quarters away into my eighth grade year after I finished my wrestling season at Gordon Middle School, I get told we're moving to Lancaster, and that kind of like made things hit the rest, reset button for me because I ended up moving to Lancaster and. I, for the first 21 days of living in Lancaster, I didn't go to school. It wasn't until early April of 2001 where I finally was able to go to Wheatland Middle School. And that was less than third, that was less than 60 school days. So I had my eighth grade promotion two, two weeks later. I'm signed up for football and it's time to do the summer workouts with many great student athletes like Perry Patterson, Danny Melendez, Joe Holler, Aquan Lee, and many others. Uh, the big the big reason why it helped was I was still feeling homesick with uh, not living in Coastal, mm. leaving everything I already had. And I was already projected to start varsity along with many others by our 10th grade year. Mm. So let me ask you real quick. When you said you moved to Lancaster, your whole family, or did you just you? 
Uh, it was just me and my siblings. Uh, my older sibling was already an adult. Mm. So he technically, you know, prior to us moving to another different place until my mom made that announcement, he, he wasn't living with us anymore. He was living more independently. Uh, it's just a situation of being in transition where I'm used to seeing him in a room next to me. And then we moved to this other place on Lancaster, I mean, Coatesville, and just didn't feel the same, but I still saw him at certain family gatherings. Then when we moved to Lancaster, uh, I didn't see him as much. Mm, okay. And so, that, that was a big transition. So when you say um, you moved with your siblings, did your mother not move with you? Did you move in with someone else? No, we all, us the other siblings, uh, let's see, two brothers and a baby sister. We all moved to Lancaster. The guy she was with was considered my stepdad. And they were married for a brief time period, but the relationship was just more chaotic. Mm. Mm. Uh, he still lives in Lancaster, but it's just a situation where involved him being involved with the drugs, the alcoholism, and losing a job here. And eventually, he started burning bridges with jobs. That are close mm. by, you gotta drive farther and farther away. Mm. And eventually, you know, a divorce did happen, but by then the damage was already done. Yeah. When did that happen? How old uh, were you? Had, How old were you? When I was that in happened? my. I had to be in my teenage years, either twelfth or eleventh grade year. Oh wow! Okay. So at that point, it had been a few years. You're in Lancaster. Mm. Divorce happens with. Is this like the kind of the only father figure you had at this point? Yeah, that's the guy I saw the most. Saw him more time than my dad. My dad, we and him were already not seeing each other as much in Coatesville. Mm-hmm. Prior to the guy my mom got married to, there was another father figure who was more like a stepdad to me because my mom ended up having two kids with him. Mm-hmm. And then they dated for like eight years, cohabitated for several years, but never got married. Uh, I did have a talk with him, like maybe last year around this time. He explained to me, you know, some things didn't work out along with some other things that were kind of like some bridges that didn't get mended. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, yeah. So, so let me ask you on that. Um, you know, it sounds like for you and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds for, like for you, teenage years from middle school through high school were rather chaotic years. Is that fair? Yeah. It was like an up and down situation where I already don't have a health relationship with my biological father. The stepfather I did have, he's gone. Then you bring in another man who's not making healthy decisions. That's not helping. Uh, what did help me was sports, having uh, that relationship with the coaches. And then when I moved to Lancaster, uh, there was a guy who I was living next to us. You know, we always played the sporting games together, video games, have our conversations. I will cook food for him sometimes when he gets home from work. And then one day he says something that really changed my life. He said, he sees me as his other son. So we we ended up evolving more like a father-son relationship. And it just became that bond. I was like the son he never had. Now he was the father I never had. He was was already. What was his name? Anha Duwah. Okay. He's originally from New York. It wasn't until he became an adult where he ended up moving to Lancaster and he ended up getting married to a woman who already had kids, but he already had kids from a previous marriage as well. And once their divorces got finalized sometime later, prior to me moving to Lancaster, that's when they ended up getting married. And 
you know, explained to his wife, hey, this guy is a cool kid. He's, he wants to be productive. It's just a situation where, you know, he's got hurdles to overcome. Yeah. Now, your your siblings also, it sounds to me that you, uh, there was, there was something about you that makes you, made you want to be productive, even in a chaotic situation. Did you see that same um, will, I guess, in your siblings? Or is that just specific to you? Uh, it was just me. Like my siblings were much younger when all that stuff was going on. Mm. And, you know, it's just a situation where I've seen on a, uh, this show called A&E where not every siblings want to go against the green for a better future. Sure, sure. And it just became a situation where, you know, when it came to my dad and my mom, they were never together. But when it comes to their dad and our mom, they were together. And then for for children to see their parents break up and people go their separate ways as they move into different households, it's not the same. Yeah, yeah. And that's something that's something much different they have to go through compared to me. Where I, I was already accepting that uh, my parents were never together. He was already with somebody else. Yeah. You know, it's funny um, you bring that up. So you bring up the fact that your siblings were younger. I also, uh, I have three siblings. We're all spaced out. My my brother, next oldest in line, I'm the oldest, next oldest in line is five years younger than me. My sister's 10 years younger than me. And then my other sister's 21 years younger than me, all with the same parents. My parents are still together. Um, my dad, I've, I've been very open about the fact that my dad struggled with drugs basically throughout my 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 childhood up until my teenage years. And he's been over 25 years clean and sober now, and I'm really proud of him for that. But it's a different experience when you're a teenager versus a young kid. And so my experience and my recall of that situation is much different than my brother, who was five years younger than me, and then my sister, who was 10 years younger than me. They just have completely different. It's almost like they have completely different childhoods because they're so much younger. Sounds like something similar happened with you where you had younger siblings. And so your experience in going through that is much different than theirs. And for some reason, it struck in you um, a a chord, a, a will to kind of rise above it. Is that fair? Yeah, I do. Like, I do like a, a joke situation, but also a serious situation. Like, um, I was a bad guy before. Like, I, I did go to jail twice. Oh, seriously? Okay, so let's yeah. let's talk about that. How old were you when uh, you went to jail? I was a kid. Okay. How old? Seven or eight. You know, oh. I remember I remember like it was yesterday, they take pictures of people, they got the handcuffs. Me and my friends were rolling dice and they say jokingly, when I went to jail, I landed in jail playing Monopoly. Play Monopoly? Yeah, that's how that's how that's how I first landed in jail. Well, tell, tell was, me the story. Tell me how that happened. Basically, I rode. I was I was trying to get around the corner, but I hit two two snake eyes, which is like ones on the die, and I landed in jail. Luckily, I had a get out of jail free card. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you so when you say you were in jail, you were in, you were in Monopoly jail. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Now the serious okay. jail part was it my fault. It's more. Um, I would just say the combination was certain family members' decisions and my mom's boyfriend. They were actually locked up in the county prison, and 
you know, I remember like it was yesterday, my mom said, we're leaving. I know where we're going. So we go to the county, I think it was uh, Chester County Prison. It's in uh, Westchester School District. And I remember like it was yesterday, we see this rural areas, farm, cows, bales of hay. And we go into the parking lot. When you go in, you, they took our pictures. And it's not like, you know, like a cell phone thing. It's more like the camera camera pictures we got take this thing out and then fan it out. So Yeah, can, um, Polaroids, yeah. Yeah, that. And your name gets put on the file. And you fill out some paperwork. And you go through a metal detector. Something beeps mm-hmm. off. You got empty your pockets. Then maybe a pat-down search if it's necessary. And then when it's time to visit the person you got, you have a limited amount of time. And there's like a divider right here. And your hands cannot cross that divider. And yeah, I saw, you know, certain certain family members and my mom's boyfriend over there. And, you know, those guys were, you know, spent a lot of time lifting the weights. But it was basically the choices they made that got them in there. And what what and, was it, if you recall, what was it the circumstances for them going there? Was it drugs or something different? Uh, one person, you know, possession of drugs. Another person, um, I don't know the whole story. I just know that, you know, when you get arrested, you go before a judge. If a judge, you know, considers, you know, hey, I'm tired of seeing you in my courtroom. It's time to make an example out of you. Let's go back with the law. All right, I'll send you a certain amount of time in the county prison. Any time that goes from three months to two years or a year and a half, you get to go to county. Anything over two, two years, you're going upstate. That could yeah. be Camp Hill, that could be Huntington Prison, or I can go way out west to Pittsburgh area prisons. And you know, once you're in there, you really get to find out who really wants to be there for you as far as who want to put money on your commissary, who want to take out a whole day to visit you on a Saturday or a Sunday. And that and you gotta be on your best behavior while you're in the facility, or you lose that privilege of phone mm-hmm. calls, visitors. Or if you really want to be bad, all right, we'll put you in a hole for a month, two, three. Hey, your choice, your consequence. Yeah. And also they humiliate you in jail. Instead of calling you by name, you got to tell the uh, the person in the morning or for roll call your number. Mm-hmm. And when you say it so many times, <clears throat> it gets ingrained in you. For some people, they realize, I don't want to come back here ever again. Mm-hmm. For some people, they get institutionalized to the point where if they don't know their purpose or want to overcome their own underlying pain, wounds, and scars, you know, they get, they, they make the risk, they make the rich richer for the judges, the parole officers, the correctional officers, because on um, prison and correctional facilities is a multi-billion dollar industry. And yeah. unfortunately, you know, some people don't want to learn, but there's also some situations where some people were, wrongfully accused, wrongfully convicted of because evidence withheld, the DNA wasn't a match, and the prosecutors knew it. And also some situations where if you don't gotta go to the lawyer fighting and going up going up going to bat for you, you know, you might be forced to take a plea deal because you might not want to take a chance with a judge or a jury trial. Yeah, I think most people don't understand how um I wouldn't say rigged, but how stacked the cards are against you. Uh, when you are a uh, a poor person in the legal system, and it's not by um, it's not by any one person's fault necessarily, as it is the system. If you look at the systems, 
the state has to fund both the prosecutor's office and the defense bar for public defenders. And so they take the money and they put it there, but politically, uh, everybody wants the prosecutor's office to be really well-funded, but they don't necessarily care if the public defenders are well-funded. So most public defenders that I know are very, very much underpaid, very much overworked. So it's really hard for them to pay attention to their clients. And unfortunately, if you don't have the money for a private attorney, you end up with a public defender who, not that they don't care or they don't want to be a part, want to help, but they are so overworked, it's nearly impossible for them to put on the best defense. Um, and so it, it results in a lot of poor people, unfortunately, being disproportionately placed in jail for crimes that people who are well off and can afford an attorney uh, wouldn't spend as much time or any time for. And it sounds like um, uh, that was the situation here. Ethan, did did you also, did you serve some time in prison then? Or no, in well, I've never been arrested. No, 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 you never did. Okay, so so family members did. And, and so when your family members are in jail, I mean, who is it that you are looking to for support? Is it your coaches? Is it your teachers? Who's stepping uh, up for you? It's a combination of a lot of things. When I was in Coso, it was like living in the neighborhood I was living in. There was some of the neighbors who had wonderful relationships with their kids, but married with their um, the moms, who's their wives. Mm-hmm. There was times they let me come over, play the video games, play on the streets with you know certain activities. And then I remember just the cookouts. I just felt more welcome in that open space. And then I also remember going uh, to the Kranz uh, camp. Um, I forgot. It was Josh Kranz's father and uh, mom opened it up because they felt like it was a calling to come to Coastal to do some evangelizing and missionary work. And then when I moved to Lancaster, everything changed in a sense of I had the father figure who lived next door. And there's certain neighbors in the area where I lived in allowed me to come over to their house. Then also in 2002, you know, and again, introduced to Tuesday Church from these Mennonite people hmm. and learn more about God on an individual level without the choir, the preacher. It's more about allowing a person to ask questions, yeah. a person to just be free. Because in church setting, it's more like you got to wear a certain outfit, act a certain way. But in Tuesday church, you get to be more yourself without all these uh, barriers. And that's when so, a teenager gets to be be fully who they want to be, not who a parent wants them to be. Yeah. So tell me then, um, it's, you know, uh, tell me the role of faith in church. Uh, tell me what role that played in kind of keeping you on a straight and narrow path. Uh there's a lot of things like for example remembering like certain scriptures like for example i have a wristband that talks about the serenity prayer where god granted me serenity to accept the things i cannot change courage to change the things i can and wisdom to know the difference yeah yeah you know and that's actually uh, a great quote that is often used in alcoholics anonymous and narcotics anonymous for recovering uh, addicts. And so, and that is, that's so true. You know, we have this, uh, we have this thought in life that somehow we're in control of everything. And uh, unfortunately, that's not true. I thought, I, you know, I coming out of high school, I started training at a pro wrestling 
school thought I was going to go and tour the world as a pro wrestler. Two months later, the place shuts down. You know, I and then I end up serving a mission. I come back. You know, I think that I'm going to buy a house and I'm going to end up uh, selling the house and using it to to uh, to go to law school. And then the market crashes and I have to sell the house at a loss. You just you know you you don't you. you Things are always going to change and you have to deal with it. But if you keep moving forward and you keep on, you keep a goal in mind and you keep moving forward no matter what, five, ten years from now when you have that degree or when you're, when you're playing with your kid or when you're playing with your grandkid or when you have that new marriage or you have that new loved one in your life, you're not even going to remember how you feel in those moments. And so, so, so tell me... Um, Tell me what, you know, your situation, hearing, hearing what I've heard so far, you, you have what is the classic situation of statistics. And what I mean by that is broken home, you know, uh, uh, people going to jail, right? Um, you know, you have multiple siblings from multiple different men. All of these things that we hear as the t- statistics for people who end up on the streets or end up in the prison system or end up in the uh, in the foster care system, um, you know, the statistics of people who who don't succeed. What is different about Ethan Poetic that allowed you to rise above, I mean, uh, and, and succeed? Well, first you got one better. Because I remember being in the uh, farmlands with the Amish and the Mennonite people, you know, I realized it was more to life than what I was living because I look at their situation where once they get done eighth grade, they can work a job making 20 plus dollars an hour. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a situation where their father could have 10 kids with one woman and don't depend on the government for anything. Mm-hmm. And it goes back to the net- the network they're in generation after generation after generation therefore nobody lives in poverty mm-hmm. nobody mm-hmm. shall go with less than when i'm looking at my situation and some other people's situation i'm like why should we wait till we're 18 to start making some serious money when, when i'm seeing mm-hmm. the mennonites making a lot of money mm-hmm. for their kids and looking out for their best interests and then they're also looking out for their cousin's best interests and and I also look at my situation like, how is it that my family has to depend on the welfare, food stamps, child support, and barely get by? But then I learned in life that some of the things we depend on for the government is not going to make us rich. Mm-hmm. The government never intends for those um, programs to make us rich. They're intended to employ people in the government to allow people to still maintain uh, certain stability of not going homeless, not going without food. But what has happened over the years was people start taking advantage of the system, thinking they're getting over on the system. But the reality is that when you depend on the government, when you depend on welfare and food stamps and all this other stuff, you're not leaving a great legacy behind. You're leaving more of a, a poverty mindset, language, and lifestyle. Because most homeowners are not depending on the government. They're getting tax breaks from the government. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're also yeah. having home-based businesses where they can get right that off. They're also running off the mileages for their cars, airplane rides, or any type of tra- tra- traveling arrangements 
Uh, ultimately, for me, I wanted more. I wanted better, and that's something I always wanted because I see my I saw my grandma's legacy, two different grandmas. I saw one person who was a single parent household, where she had four kids by four different men. She still made the newspaper for her potato salad, which was famous, and the thing that she still has left behind to this day is her house, where she was a homeowner. Mm. And she did it without government funding. Now, when it came to my other grandma, she had 11 kids with one man. And they were homeowners. And I just saw, like, different blueprints of my grandparents' legacy of facing things that are much different now than compared back then and still willing to break the barriers. And I also remember the power of prayer. I also remember, you know, you're going to grow apart from certain people. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of my friends that I grew up in Coastville, some of them are, you know, did go to jail, while some of them did go to college and graduate. Some became entrepreneurs, some served in the military. And then Legister was some of my teammates on certain sports teams. I'm one of the few that actually graduated from college not once, but twice. Mm-hmm. And that really empowers my coaches to see that it's not about the X's and O's for football. Um, taking down somebody on the mat or running for track. It's more about, I want you to turn this boy or teenager into a man who has a college degree. And that's what it's really about because most coaches who are teaching in middle school, high school, a diocese school or private schools already have college degrees. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's true. So, so in, in talking with you, to, again, I, I want to ask, who do you think were the biggest, who, who would you say is the single biggest influence in getting Ethan Poetic uh, off the streets and through high school and through college? Uh, it wasn't one person. It was just several people in different seasons and different time periods. Uh, it, it helped to have a father figure next door. Mm-hmm. It helped to be welcome in other people's neighbors, um, neighbors' households. It also helps to be with the Amish and Mennonite culture, get away from my own home where I felt more peaceful. Mm-hmm. It also helped to just see a vision that was bigger than my circumstances. Uh, one of the circumstances was, you know, 2010, you know, unfortunately my brother, older brother did um, pass away due to gun violence and justice was served. Mm. And, you know, that hurt a lot of people to the core, yeah. especially when I became an older brother overnight those unfortunate circumstances Mm. and once the funeral the passover and the burial passed you know went away i ran into a guy named jordan steffi who i always saw on television newspapers because he was a three-four star at conestoga valley school district where he played football basketball and track and ended up going to the university of maryland And he had his nonprofit called at the time Children Deserve a Chance Foundation, now rebranded to Atalo. Uh, what inspired him to do it was one of his classmates or students at his high school needed money for brain surgery. And once Jordan scored his thousand points, he encouraged the crowd to donate a dollar for every point he scored and he used that funding to give to the guy for his hospital bill to get his um, brain surgery. And then sometime later, the guy who had the brain surgery came back and thanked him very much. And that's where he found his passion uh, giving back 
for those in need. Eventually, his nonprofit evolved to helping uh, students get into college, where they could be the mm. first gen to graduate, mm. or be an entrepreneur, learn coding, or go to the military, or law school, or learn a trade. Is that where you did you kind of hook up with him and use his foundation to kind of help you get through some of these things? Well, yeah, I was an adult at the time, and ah. when we first met, it was at a church on a Saturday night service. When he sat next to me, I couldn't believe it. The light was shining on him. He had the nicest outfits. His sneakers were very clean, and the shoelaces were still intact. I said, are you Jordan stuff? He said, yeah, we shook hands. We talked after service, and we kept running to each other in the city by coincidence. And one day had an event for Michael Vick, you know, with his dog situation. After he paid his debt to society, got signed by the Philadelphia Eagles, they decided to have an event for him. And before uh, Michael Vick spoke, that's where I got announced as the guy for the poetry and welcome into the foundation. Okay. Um, so, so you write you write poetry? Yeah, I do. Poetry, special speeches, and other stuff. And it's just a situation where I was writing a poem about Michael Vick's situation, and he's having a an event about Michael Vick and, you know, mm. the two things just uh, merged together. Yeah. Uh, what ended up happening was uh, a year later after that Michael Vick event, I, um, we ended up having a fundraiser event and after everything was good with selling the deuce brand watches, I leave with my uncle, my aunt and two cousins as we we're getting ready to go to Philly. And then, Next thing you know, I'm involved in a near-fatal car accident where I had a 99% chance of death versus 1% chance of life in the middle of oh. Paradise, Pennsylvania. Holy cow. Okay, so you're you've thrown like <laughs> you've thrown like a bunch of stuff at me. I gotta I wanna go through some of these things. So let's let's talk about that first. So you're in a car accident. When did that happen? March 19th, 2011, on a Saturday wow. afternoon. Wow. And tell me just briefly what, like, what happened? Uh, it's a situation where I tell people all the time where I got involved in the car accident, but I don't remember the car accident. Oh, you, oh okay. So you were, were you knocked unconscious? Yeah. It's like, I had to like, look at the car from the, from the pictures of the newspapers to look at the articles from online. Then I got to look at the television reportings and I got listen to people's description and then First, I got to use my imagination and tell people, you know, the driver ran into an 18-wheeler. Oh, wow. And that's, so, what caused the, that's what caused the accident. So were you in the car or were you a yes. pedestrian? Okay. Yeah, I was passenger? The, yeah, I was behind the driver. Oh, wow. Okay. So he ran into an 18-wheeler and somehow your car got involved as well. Yeah, I was, in, I was inside the car with him. Oh, you were inside the car of the guy who hit the 18-wheeler. Yeah, it was me, okay. my aunt, and my uncle, and two cousins. Oh wow! So you all were you all were pretty pretty banged up, I would imagine. Yes. Um, so in that situation, uh, tell me what injuries you suffered. Let's see: a concussion, a fractured collarbone, an injury to my wrist, mm. lost a lot of blood. And yeah. the biggest one was my aorta had torn. I should have died within three to five minutes, but it just didn't happen that way. Wow. Wow. So how long was your recovery? At least a year is a combination of being in a hospital for a month, being in rehab for at least a month, 
and then being on a feeding tube for several months where I couldn't eat or drink anything by mouth, the consequences are going to be pneumonia. Wow. So now at this point in 2011, like we should say to the listeners, so you graduated high school, you worked, uh, you know, odd jobs, you met uh, Mr. Steffi, um, and you pursued higher education through community college and ultimately received a Millersville University a bachelor's degree. Did that happen before or after your car accident? That happened, uh, the car accident happened before I went to college. Wow. So that's really interesting to me because especially, uh, how are you, well, first of all, let me ask you, as far as the concussion goes and all your injuries, how are you doing now? Are you physically feeling good? Yes. Okay, great. So that, I mean, that's 12 years ago. I know, I'm an, I mean, I'm an attorney by trade. I do personal injury law, so I, I know a few things about car accidents. And I know one of the things about concussions. I, I've suffered a concussion in a car accident, and uh, that's no joke. It's a struggle. And, uh, and so the fact that even after all of that, you were able to pursue higher education and get a bachelor's degree really is remarkable. Um, so, so you get a, the car accident in 2011, and then you also mentioned your brother, uh was uh died due to gun violence uh when yeah, was, was that year. that was the year before wow so in 2010 yes and so your brother now before that i know you said earlier your brother was a little bit older uh yes. did you have a good relationship with him prior to that did you keep in contact i did with him? i did it's just we have a big age gap between nine to ten years it's like mm -hmm. by the time I'm in elementary, he's already in high school, getting ready to graduate. Right, right. And the circumstances, did he fall into a bad crowd or was he just kind of a, a bystander in the situation? Or uh, some guy gunned him down randomly. Just random, huh? Yeah, wow. the guy tried to say my brother broke into his house. But the thing is, if someone breaks into your house, you would normally call the cops to make a police report. When the right. cops went to that guy's house... There is he no damage done with the doors, windows? So the cops heard knew something was fishy. And that's what the police found. And what I ended up finding out on my own was that this guy was driving around for my brother or somebody else. And, you know, luckily the cameras caught, you know, the situation on a uh, camera because uh, what what the shooting happened was in an alleyway. But it just so happens where that alleyway is, there's a post office that has cameras throughout the property and it had cameras facing in the alleyway. Mm, they, so already they, got caught everything. they caught the footage of everything. Plus they had the license plates, the year making model. Mm. And then once you put that to the, uh, the Pennsylvania database and bring it down the uh, coastal area, well, that's when they put that thing in the newspaper and on um, the driver who was involved well, his wife encouraged him to come forward. And mm. once his wife, you know, found out what happened, uh, you know, I'm not sure if the uh, cops gave him any consequences, even though he needed him as a witness. What ended up happening in his situation, as far as the driver goes, is once his wife found out everything, and, you know, once the conviction happened for the guy who was involved, that's when his wife left him and took the kids. Because mm. she mm. wanted no part in supporting someone who took place in a murder. A homicide, yeah. and then yeah. and to hide it and use the vehicle, and not say anything. No, yeah. no woman, no one wants to be wants their kids part of that. Yeah. Did you, did he uh, is he still serving? Do you know if he's still in prison? Well, the guy who did the shooting, 
He's got life in prison. The guy who's involved, I don't know what type of deal he made with the DA. I just know they needed him as the eyewitness since he, since he was the person there. It's one thing to have a camera, but you got to have an eyewitness along with the, the evidence of the cell phones. Because, you know, when you make a cell phone call, it bounces off the GPS. Yeah. And it's going to locate where you are. So, so the guy you're referring to then is What's the, the driver, driver and the eyewitness. Okay, and so he struck a deal and did, and he's not serving time at this point, but his wife ended up leaving him. Yep, took the yeah. kids and everything. Wow, so that man, that's a that's a rough couple of years. So tell me then, uh, you know, and then also another thing you mentioned was you you put some emphasis on the Mennonite Amish community and you referenced church. Do you go to church in a Mennonite Amish? place or is that just kind of somewhere where you you learned uh, a combination of both um they do things much differently but mm -hmm. i also see like certain principles like for example they emphasize you know forgiving people and they also emphasize the women uh not to be sexually active until they're married mm. and most of the people who are in the amish and men like learn certain dating practices because they have a man in the household starting with their mother and father or having those conversations with them, yeah. but then when I but but then I also realized in my uh, you know different culture where I live, dating's more. Hey, I like somebody in this neighborhood. She looks prettier, this and that. But most of the times in those situations, there's more breakups than having good relationships because some people get into relationships with access baggage. We're not taking the time to heal themselves first. Mm, that's a great and, point. And then point. I also realized, you know, in the Amish and Mennonite, uh, you have less a lesser dating pool with choosing people in your own community compared mm -hmm. to, you know, my situation where you can choose different people. But then the question becomes, which one do you want to um, be with? Because you, you can't you can't be in the talking phase forever. Yeah. No, that's that's a good point. So you kind of learned, uh, it sounds like some of the lessons you learned from the Mennonite community had to do with relationships, hard work, um, uh, you know, working at a younger age, right, uh, rather than just wait until you're 18. Um, and how have those lessons shaped who Ethan Poetic is now? Um. It goes back to a quote I learned where it takes a village to raise a child. Mm -hmm. And in that village, you know, there's some good people, there's some bad people. It's a matter of who you want in your life and which crowd do you want to be with. And, you know, sometimes people think in my community, you know, the way out is work doing sports, being a rapper, selling drugs, or doing something else. But when I look at other cultures that do that still does have diversity in it, they're hmm. thinking about becoming lawyers, doctors, entrepreneurs, serving in the military, you name it. And it goes back to exposure. What are you exposing yourself to the most? Positivity or negativity? And then you also have to look at, you know, who's really helping you out, who's really supporting you wholeheartedly without any hidden agendas or strings attached. How did you, let me, let me ask it a different way. It sounds like what you're saying is, is that you had, as you were growing up, a lot of positive influences on your life within your community 
from various different sources that helped you stay in a positive mindset and goal-oriented, even in times of difficulties. Um, but I got to imagine in your circumstance, there were also a lot of negative influences as well. How was it that you were able to focus on those positive influences and kind of peel away from the negative ones? Um, you know, I'll mention a story real quick where there's certain people who like kind of asked, have you had a talk with my dad? Have you had a talk with your dad? And I said, no, I said, when's the last time you seen him? Several months. And this, and it's a situation where they tell me, you know, it's not my fault. It's up to him to be a man and step up to the plate. Uh, I remember one time as a man, you know, somebody encouraged me to talk to the pastor where my dad was, a, um, where he was a trustee with the money and asked the pastor to mediate for us. And I wasn't sure about that, but the guy kept encouraging me to do it. So I did it, asked the pastor on the phone, hey, uh, could you mediate for us? And the pastor said, sure, I'll be welcome to do it. And then eventually the pastor came back. He, took, he talked to my dad twice and my dad said no both times. And what ended up happening later down the road during my recovery was his wife had called me on the phone and asked me to hang out with her for lunch. And we met at a, a nursing home. She picked me up there with my younger brother. That's her son with my dad. And we ended up going to Perkins uh, for lunch. In the middle of eating, she drops the bomb on me where she said, my dad's not going to help me get my life back together. And that's when I lost my appetite. I looked at her differently. Like, you brought, you want to meet me here just to tell me that? You want to do my dad's dirty work while being his wife, while being submissive? And, you know, after that, you know, I was ready to go. So she dropped me off at Manhattan Township High School at a basketball game. And I ended up meet, catching up with some people there, had a good time. And then eventually, you know, I turned that discouragement into encouragement hmm. by getting my driver's license. You know, it took me three times with three different cars, but I still passed and got it. Posted it on social media. I had uh, over 200 likes on those pictures on uh, Facebook. And then eventually, you know, I got a... My, one of the first cars I got on my own was a 95 Ford Taurus. I was able to pay it forward to some, certain people to help them get their driver's license. And once that car started showing some wear and tear, I knew it was time to get a brand new one. Then a woman who I'd known, she was willing to take me up to Jones Apple Honda of York for a car. And when I got there, she asked me what type of car I'm going to get. I said, I'm getting a brand new one. I said, you sure? I said, yes. So I go for this test drive, and the car was a red Honda Civic 2016 right at the showroom. And I liked it. I said, I want this one. And that's when the guy went to the paperwork. And then the woman asked me, "Are you what type of car you got? I said, I'm getting that one. You said, you sure? Yeah, I'm getting that one at the showroom. Her, her jaw dropped, eyes of excitement, and everything else. And then while I'm in the car, she pulls out her cell phone. And becomes the paparazzi and TMZ start taking pictures of me, <laughs> and then she starts sending it to all her friends. I'm like, "What are you doing?" She said, "Well, I'm, I'm taking pictures of you. This is a proud moment." And she got in the passenger sock car, and she was very proud and everything. And eventually, I told other people. And one day, when I go back to Coastville, you know, some people told me, you know, drive up to my dad's house and show him what he missed out on. 
I tell him I'm not going to do that. He's going to find out through word of mouth. So one day I'm at the light. I parked my car, had my picture taking us to the sunset, walking to Coastville. As I'm going back to my car, my dad at the red light, he sees me with the brand new car. Mm. And there wasn't much he could say. Yeah. He missed out. And hey, I did it yeah. without him. And yeah. I didn't allow, you know, his words of discouragement to his wife to, to hold me back. And well, I, let me tell you. I explain that to tell other people you cannot allow someone's discouragement from stopping you from living your life and your purpose. You know, there's something I like about what you said there, and that is that you know there are two types of people in a situation like that where you are looking. This is not a story, just so you know, the, the story that you shared, I appreciate you sharing it. It's not something that hasn't happened before. A lot of people have those moments. I know someone very close to me who had that moment with a father that they'd never met and um, before. And that father said that they couldn't be a part of their lives. And it really, really rocked them to the core. And we're all going to have those moments like that that rock us to the core. But what I love about what you did was you had two choices in that moment. You could shrink and say, well, no one's going to help me, so I can't do it. Or you can rise above and say, I'm going to do it anyway. And you made the choice to say, hey, you know what? He's not going to help me. Fine, I'm going to do it anyway. And the thing that's interesting about that is, and the thing I would share, you know, nobody, you know, neither one of my parents finished college. Neither one of them have college degrees. They're great people. They work very hard, but that just wasn't something that they did. And, um, uh, you know, I had a rough and tumble life a little bit. And uh, so when I was going to go to law school, uh, my best friend actually told me I, that he didn't think I would make it. And, uh, you know, nobody believes in you until <laughs> nobody believes in you until the, the success is made. Then everybody wants to say that they were a part of the journey. <laughs> but, but the thing is, is that the journey to success is often very, very, very lonely. And uh, there's going to be a lot of nights where you're going to have a lot of self-doubt. There's going to be a lot of people who tell you you can't do it. There's going to be people who, who come in and out of your life. There's going to be people who actively try to stop you. But if you have a goal and you believe in yourself, you can make it. And you, Ethan Poetic, is, is a, an example of that. So now, Ethan, you've written a book. Right? Yes. Tell us about your book and what is it about? Uh, this is a soft cover. My book title is called The Inspirational Story of Ethan A. Poetic Chronicles of Adversities, Education, Sports, Resiliency. And nice. this is the hard cover with a laminated case. Nice. That looks good. Not bad. I got, Not bad. I got two back cover reviews from Dave Berman and Dante McCloud or Claude, whatever. Yeah, him. I'm self-published because uh, some publishers just weren't offering good deals for my story. And one of the, one of the situations happened where one of the publishers said, if I sign with them, if I sign with them, they said, if they choose my story for a movie and a soundtrack, they'll own the lion's share rights of it. Mm, so like, no, they were already about a multi-million dollar idea about my situation 
And I'm thinking to myself, well, I can't sign with them. And I realized I could probably do a Dr. Dre, Eminem, 50 Cent, and Tyler Perry did, which is write my own script, create my own movie, and soundtrack myself independently and look for a distribution deal in my favor. Yeah, yeah it kind of reminds me of the story of Master P, where he was sitting across the desk with Jimmy Iovine, where he offered him a million-dollar advance, which was another word for a loan. Him and his brother said, uh, you know, if this guy's offering us a million dollars, we're probably worth more than that. So they told Jimmy Iovine, we're going out for lunch. And Jimmy Iovine told him, you don't come back. You're not going to have a record deal because I know everybody in town. Mm. And they never went back. So they went to the Cal- went back to the Calio Projects in New Orleans. And he ended up starting his own label, No Limit uh, Records. And he ended up getting a distribution deal where most of his cost was through the marketing and promoting. It was like an 80, 20, or 85, 15 deal where he owned the masters, the sinking, and all the other stuff. And he ended up selling millions of dollars and he became one of the blueprints of Saints showing people that you can do this independently without depending on the record label. You can use this system more for distribution and marketing, promoting, and have more of a collaboration deal. Yeah. It's a matter yeah. of just depending on yourself and believing in yourself and having the right people on your team to finish. I'm, I'm very impressed with that because let me tell you, um, there's a lot of people out there who, if they had a publisher even say, hey, we'll take your book, they would take any deal as long as they got their book published. But it's very impressive that you say, no, I'm going to, you know, I look at these other people who have been wildly successful doing it on their own. Why can't I? And that's and that's another thing that I think is so interesting is that, you know, again, I can only speak to my own experience, but when people ask me about, about this stuff, I always tell them, I go, I just never doubted that I could do anything. You know, whenever I said, Hey, I want to be a wrestler. I did it. And if people said it was silly, I go, I don't care. I I can do it. When someone, when my friends said I couldn't make it through law school and work full time and raise for, you know, raise my kids, I just said, well, I'm going to do it. And uh, it never occurred to me that I would fail. And, uh, it sounds like you're the same way. It sounds like you're here. You're saying, well, okay, they're going to offer me this money, but what if the movie comes out? Uh, I want the money. I want, I want the rights to it. I want to have creative control. That's very impressive that you're, that you're willing to bet on yourself like that. So now, now tell me another thing. You also do some work, uh, helping others. Uh, some of the things that you talked about, uh, doing is, uh, is coaching. Tell me about your coaching practice. Uh, depending on what the client is, whether they want to work through adversity, learn how to be a self-publisher, mentorship, or certain guidance in life. Um, again, it goes back to what the client wants, how many sessions, they pay the security deposit, and we get straight to work. They fill out a questionnaire form, and I just evaluate everything to figure out where can we go in the direction that makes them a better person when we end this uh, business relationship, that way they'd be more well off. Mm. And, you know, it's a situation where, you know, some people got help with more learning how to overcome their adversities with straightforward talk. For example, if someone can relate to me with growing up without growing up in a strange relationship with their father, I could explain to them that there were men who were invested in me. They are my coaches. And, you know, they understand some of the coaches understood my story based on, when I got picked up from practice, 
or based on the paperwork they saw my mom was signing me up or picking me up from practice or the game sometimes and you know those men invested in me in a situation where we understand your adversity but welcome to the game of life when it comes to playing sports Mm. you have to still do your best even in the midst of your adversities and hardships and shortcomings yeah you know sports I, I got to tell you, sports played a huge role in uh, in some of the lessons I learned in life about hard work, teamwork, um, pushing through adversity. You know, I don't know how many times I rolled an ankle and still had to play. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, yeah. uh, you know, I played basketball and I wrestled a little bit here and there. And, uh, yeah, it's it's rough. And so so your your clients, can you give me, uh, you know, an idea of of what your um, uh, what your ideal client is like if someone came to Ethan poetic and said, Hey, you know, I need some coaching. Who would be your ideal person? I don't have an ideal person. It's just more, let's just start a conversation and go from there. Mm-hmm. Because I just can't be like, I'm looking for a certain client that might discourage somebody from wanting to be a client of mine. No, that's a good point. That's a good point. So you're willing to talk to anybody. Not just anyone. It's just a matter of where they are in life and have to see, are they willing to invest, make an investment, how much time we're going to put into this and eventually have a, a cutoff date? Because you got you got to make sure you have a plan of a start, a middle and, a, and an end. That way everyone's on the same page. There's no surprises. Mm-hmm. And then from there, a person's going to end up becoming a better version of themselves. Mm-hmm. Because I know about mental health problems. I experienced it, but overcame it. For example, when I was in that car accident and recovering for a long period of time, I was on a Christmas list full of medicines. And I'll give you the best example of those medicines. It's like, like for, let's say, for example, we meet in person at California where you're at. We have lunch. But before we have lunch, we shake hands. When you shake my hand, you feel that skin-to-skin contact in our nerve endings. But mm-hmm. if I was to shake your hand with an uh, oven mitt, there's a handshake, but the thing is that oven mitt uh, blocks us from, from skin to skin contact in our nerves. And that oven mitt is like medicine where it was desensitizing me with all five of my body senses. Mm. When I was going through that detox, little by little, where the list went from here to lower, eventually I start regaining stuff, but eventually I have to re, rewire stuff where I got accepted the fact, okay, I wasn't there at someone's funeral. Mm. I missed out on paying my respect to somebody. And then one time, it wasn't so like, sometime later where um, I, get, I get interviewed when I finally come to the top about this stuff. And the article mentioned some of my breakthroughs was overcoming survivor's remorse. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know I was going through that because every time the adversity would get closer and closer, I'll feel some waves of emotion. Yeah. But I realized uh, how it relates to other people is that survivor's remorse can relate to someone who lost a dear friend, a pet, a family member, a parent, or or the worlds can be reversed where a parent loses their child and have to bury them. Yeah. And survivor's remorse can also relate to a woman who's going who went through a miscarriage or lost her child during birth or some you know some complicated reason. And also people in the military go through survivors more and worse as well when they lose, you know, someone that was in the platoon with them or in the middle of uh, combat. 
Yeah. So, so uh, appreciate everything you're saying there. Let me let me shift gears a little bit. Um, what is your bachelor's degree and what is what was your specialty there? Uh, speech communication, minor broadcasting media. It's right here. This is Millsville oh, University. Oh, nice. Here's my degree. Man, look at that. Uh, a bright. It's a little, a little bright, but that's okay. We can see it. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. So you got a degree in bachelor, a bachelor's degree, and then you received uh, Pennsylvania Commonwealth citations from Senator Scott Ma Martin and House of Representative Mike Sterling. Tell me about that. Uh, what ended up happening was uh, either I reached out to Scott Martin or he reached out to me and it got a word to me in the mail. Um, then I went to Michael's and got a frame, made a speech about it, and thanked them very much. Then I was like, okay, since the Republicans going to give me this, why don't I reach out to Mike Sterling since I already know him? And less than two weeks later, he sends me one in the mail. I make another speech about it from the Democrat standpoint, and I emphasize the people, you know, it wasn't a situation where I'm involved with politics. Mm-hmm. It's more of a situation of people involved with politics recognizing me for my uh, grit, perseverance, and overcoming stuff. Because when I start receiving all these accolades with a proclamation declaration from Lexington City Council and the mayor, Denise Sirachi, it was all uh, initiated by me and Lexington City Council member Janet Diaz. Hmm. And one day I get an email saying they're ready to have a having included in the media meeting after they get it, get down their agenda. And when I tell them the story, they were just amazed. And I already knew some, most of the city council members, including the mayor, and they voted unanimously. Yes. Which is yay. Mm -hmm. And once I got that, I took a picture with Janet Diaz and thanked her. And then there's other accolades I ended up getting along the way. Like for example, I ended up, uh, while I was at Millersville university towards my senior year, uh, they appointed me a mentor named Bob Paul, who's also an alumni of Military University. When I told him who I am, and he started researching me about my car accident, I'm like, this is what happened. He said, wait, wait, wait. You went through all this, and you graduated not once, but twice? And you know what he did? He ended up contacting Dr. Teresa Russell Loretz, head of comm and theater department at Military University, told her hmm. that I get invited to go in their Zoom meeting. And then next, you know, when she talks about me, she's all excited, enthusiastic. And she says, I'm going to have a special award named after you wow. in honor of your adversity. Because when I uh, graduated from Hack, one of my first choices to apply to was Mills University. And the situation was nobody such as the HR department, the president, none of the professors, the support staff or janitors knew about my story. Hmm. Because the only thing I would do mostly in college was for, for hack as well, was simply just go there, do my work. If I got to work on a group project, I'd do that. Me with the tutors, I'd do that. And then I go to work right after that. Hmm. And when they, when they realized, wait, you mean to tell me you went through all this and you came here on this campus and you're leaving with a college degree twice? You know, it, it, it became a monumental moment where I realized they're not only proud of me, they're willing to support me all the way. For example, 
Dr. Teresa Russell Loretz also wrote a foreword for me in my book. That's awesome. She's one of eight of the foreword's. That's awesome. You so you the, the thing I like about your story, the thing that I think is is great is that you're such a go-getter. And, and what I mean by that is that I often tell people all the time um, you know, a closed mouth does not get fed. Uh, I remember, I'll tell this story. Um, I, I ran a wrestling promotion that did charitable events for a long time. And it was a local independent wrestling promotion. And the WWE came to town and there was a tradition where all the indie promotions in the area would kind of hang out in the parking lot and just kind of secretly hand out flyers. And uh, I walked in and a security guard came up and said, oh, you're not supposed to do that. And so all the other people were like, oh, well, we'll just kind of hide over here and hand them out here. And, you know, they were kind of trying to do it in secret. And I just said, you know what, this is silly. Like, why would we do this in secret? So I walked up to uh, security and I said, hey, listen, who do I talk to about getting approval to pass out flyers here in the parking lot? Because we run charitable events and do all these things. And the other people who were there, there was a group there that was kind of running for another promotion and they were like all mad at me. And they were like, why are you doing this? You're going to ruin it for all this. They're going to kick us all out of here. And I was like, ah, let me ask them and say that they said, well, we can't really do it tonight. You know, we don't have approval, but here's a phone number. And it was a phone number to someone within the WWE. And I called them and I said, hey, listen, um, I run a charitable promotion here in Sacramento and uh, I, I would really love to be able to pass out flyers at your next show. And they were like, oh yeah, tell you what, next time next time you come by, we're gonna, uh, we'll set you up, you know, we'll set you up with a booth. Uh, and I go, oh, cool, like like outside? He goes, no, no, inside. We'll set you up a booth inside. And we'll give you some, you know, we'll, we'll give you some merch that you can kind of hand out and stuff like that. And I was like, are you serious? And so from there, I struck up a relationship where every time they came by, they would call us, they, they would actually call me and they would say, hey, by the way, not only that, but do you have extras that we could use for WWE Raw? Like, do you have names of people that we could use? And they would always call me last minute. And so, you know, I only I only went there one time uh, and they called me three or four. But the point is, is that all of those people who were running around the parking lot were mad at me for going and opening my mouth. But opening my mouth means I'm not in the parking lot. I'm on a booth inside, right? And, and that's what I think is so uh, interesting uh, for you, Ethan, is that you could have easily just been cool with Scott Martin giving you that, that thing. And you said, hey, I got this from Scott. Why don't I call Mike Sterla too? And boom, now you got two. And the next thing you know, uh, Deneen Sirachi's calling you. And you, you know, all of these things cascade because you're not afraid to open your mouth. And, and I think a lot of people can learn from that because a lot of these things, there are so many people in your life. This is me kind of getting up on a soapbox, so I apologize for this. But there are so many people in people's lives who are so willing to tell you they can't do it. But you know what? There's never been a person who's been successful that I'm aware of that told anybody they couldn't do anything. So just remember that if someone out there is telling you that you can't do it, that is not a reflection of you. That is a reflection of them. Because they can't do it. You can do it. You can do anything you want to. And Ethan, you're you're ex a perfect example of that. You had it harder than I did. I mean, I, I had, a, you know, I, I make it sound like I had this terrible life. I really didn't. I mean, yeah, my dad was a drug addict, but I had my parents loved me, and they and they they still love me, and they're very supportive. 
you you had a rough go and you still made it and you're still making it and you're still pushing i can't wait ethan to see the movie that you independently produce of your story that's going to be awesome let me ask you a couple of questions i ask everybody we've talked a lot about your successes what would you say is your biggest failure in life and what did you learn from it uh, my biggest failure uh, <laughs> uh there's, there's quite a few like one for example yeah, give me one. What's I'll, the biggest I'll, one? Um, uh, can I give two? Okay, yeah, give me two. Uh, well, in college, you know, I struggled with math. I had already failed it twice, and it was just pre-algebra. And you know, this is a situation. The first time I took it, I tried to do it during summer climb, but uh, the, the professor suggested I withdraw because. I'm on the boundary line. I'm not passing. If you don't have a certain GPA, I could lose. I could be on academic probation. Right. The second right. time I did the math class, um, I was on the edge, and it was during COVID. Mm. And I'm like, this is now or never. And you know, I'm talking to the professor, talking things over with my tutor, my academic advisor, and I said, you know, it's time to roll roll the dice let's, let's go all in and when i took the final exam i passed it and what helped in that failure was learning from why i failed the first time and looking at all the problems and looking at hey maybe i didn't put enough time with the tutors maybe i didn't ask the right questions maybe i didn't practice enough Another failure would have been, let's see, me taking three times to pass my driving test because I got my permit. I, I was so happy for that. When I was practicing with different cars was because everyone's schedule was different during the take time for me to practice. Mm -hmm. So the first time I went with somebody's car, uh, I missed the curb, missed getting into the, uh, what's that thing, uh, parallel parking just by an inch. Mm -hmm. I hate that. The second still, time, I, still, I still suck at that. <laughs> the second time, I missed it by half an inch. Mm. And then finally, the third time was a charm. Mm. And after that, the, job, the guy told me, um, drive around, make sure you stop at the stop signs, look both ways, do your turn signals. After that, he told me part where the X is. He tells me I pass. I get the paperwork, I go back inside, get my picture taken. And the guy who helped me get help, that's uh, the married couple that helped me get my driver's license for the, yeah, with, with this third car that was much different. And after that, it was just uh, a happy day to uh, not allow Faraday to find me. Yeah, uh, that's awesome. That's great. Now, one last question. Uh, Everyone eventually passes away. Nobody gets through this life uh, without it. And so we hope sometime in the future, 40, 50 years from now, Ethan A. Poetic passes away. And uh, there's going to be a funeral and there'd be a eulogy. What is the one thing that you hope someone says about you in their eulogy? Uh, there's going to be several things. Uh, well... It's a situation where, you know, father time does catch up to us. Mother time does catch up to us. 
All I can say is just, hey, uh, I know in between my dash, I did a lot. I, w- I went from a single parent household to a business owner to a college graduate. Uh, what I want people to remember is that I didn't give up. Even when certain people weren't there to help me, I, you know, persevered. I want you to persevere in your life and continue to grow. Maybe even do better than me. Maybe graduate college at a much earlier age. And then, you know, I, it's it's hard to say because I realize my, you know, a future death is not only about me. It's also about having a significant other, children. And, you know, I know in the obituary, obituary or wherever it's called, you know, there's going to be a listing of the education, my achievements, my legacy, and what I left behind because I can't take all this stuff with me. And that's, yeah. that's just something to believe because, you know, we can look at the per- person who has the most wealth. You can look at Bill Gates and uh, Warren Buffett. They give away close to 98% of their wealth to nonprofits mm-hmm. as philanthropists and it, it helped making the world go, become better. Yeah. And then you also look at, you know, people who have much less that are still making an impact. Um, but ultimately, I just want people to understand that, hey, I, you can look at my YouTube videos of all my accomplishments. I didn't do it for the likes. I only did it because it's a work in progress where I overcame because before we overcame a lot of stuff and got back to society, I thought originally, hey, I could just go back in the sunset. Let's get this college degree at hack and then transfer to a university get my driver's license, I could just go in the sunset. But the problem was I got, um, not that it was intentional, I can say I got pushed outside my coverage zone to become this successful. Because yeah. I was working with kids, with student athletes, sometimes working in the school buildings, and, you know, parents who got access to technology, they would research my name, and at the job, they'd bring up the car accident, and I'm like, I don't feel comfortable talking about this. I want to come here and work. This is my sanctuary. And one day my boss tells me I got to get used to being inspiration. And that's when I start realizing I have to direct this attention to more showing more of a progressive life beyond the car accident that people may look up. And eventually what up happened was when I did get my proclamation declaration and the uh, city council member and Denise Sarashi all said yes. While that was going down, there was this uh, writer named John Walk who heard my story and reached out to me and wanted to write an inspirational story about me. And I ended up making the front page of the newspaper mm-hmm. April 1st, 2021. And a month later, I got featured on WJL by Barbara Barb. And I say all that to say, you never know who's watching. Sometimes you have to step outside your comfort zone to do something different to become successful, whether it's your marriage, your sobriety, your mental health, living in a different environment. Just don't limit yourself because I never live in myself. Oh, that's true. And that's awesome. You know, there's there's so much there that you said that just that really uh, hits home. And, you know, one of the things I would I would push back on you a little bit, you know, it sounded like and I, I don't think you, you meant to do this, but you brought well, hope, well, maybe somebody, you know, get a degree faster than I did. I was 31 years old when I got my law degree. Um, you know, the people I was graduating with were 24, 25. And so, um, but the thing is, is that I am still 
just as if not more successful than any of them. And, uh, uh, you know, there are so many kids out there. I tell this to my son. Uh, I was having this conversation not too long ago because he's, he's going into a senior year of high school. And as I told him, I go, listen, like, you, you don't have to have your whole life figured out by 18 or 21 or 25 or even 30 or 40. You don't have to have that figured out. You look at some of these people, you know, Michael Jordan was, was cut from his uh, JV basketball team. Oprah Winfrey at 23 was fired from a media job. Oprah Winfrey, right? But that's okay because they weren't Michael Jordan and Oprah Winfrey yet. They had to get cut and fired to become Michael Jordan and Oprah Winfrey. So if you don't have anything figured, you don't have yourself figured out, that's okay. Life is long. You haven't peaked yet. And Ethan, you haven't peaked yet either. I'm looking forward to hearing more about where you go from here. Um, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Uh, I appreciate you reaching out to me, and I'm, just glad, to, I'm glad to meet you. Uh, where can people find you? Uh, let's see. I'm on social media. Let's see. my. Let's see. For Instagram. TikTok and Snapchat. My username is Ethan Poetic23. E-T-H-A-N-P-O-E-T-I-C 23. Twitter is Ethan V23. My LinkedIn is Ethan Poetic. My YouTube is Ethan Poetic. Then on my Facebook, I got two different profiles. There's Ethan Poetic, the poetry page, where I have close to 3,000 likes for like viewers that follow me on there. Then I still have my regular you know, profile is Ethan Poetic, even though I gave Facebook the legal documents that shows that I did legally change my last name to Poetic in the summer of 2021, but for some reason they don't want to change it. So it's Ethan Vaughn. The last name is spelled V-A-U-G-H-N, location, Lancaster, PA. Uh, part of the reason why I changed my last name is because Vaughn does not belong to me because it belongs to the German slave masters who bought my African ancestors from the Cambridge Bay of Maryland. And last but not least, to purchase my book and support me is my, my story is called my book is called The Inspirational Story of Ethan A. Poetic Chronicles of Adversity, Education, Sports, Resiliency. It's print on demand on Amazon, Target, Kobo, Barnes and Noble, Walmart, and any other place you find online. And if you need me for keynote speaking at your college universities, private schools, charter schools, public schools. And events, you may contact me at ethanspeaks.com. And then my consolation uh, page, you can fill out the form or email me directly, and we can work out an arrangement. Or if you want to buy a book off of me directly, or I mail it to you and just charge you for the book and the shipping and handling, I'll sign it, autograph it, and I'll make sure to screenshot the, the tracking number, send it to you. That way we're both know where everything's going. Awesome. Lots of places. So I really appreciate that. Everybody uh, follow Ethan. Uh, let's watch his journey. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited to see where you go. Like I said, you have, uh, you are a go-getter, and uh, I have no doubt that you're going to be successful in whatever you do. Uh, for everybody who's listening, I appreciate you following through the last hour and 15 minutes we've been on. I know I talk a lot, and these are long form, but I appreciate it. I love meeting new people. It's why I love a podcast. I love having it because there's no other way where I would have really met or had an opportunity to have an hour-long conversation with a guy like Ethan Poetic. We got a lot more exciting stuff coming up, so go ahead and subscribe, follow. We're on Apple, we're on Spotify, we're on YouTube, we're on, I don't know, Google, whatever, and all anywhere you can find a podcast.
So uh, really appreciate it. Thanks, Ethan, for coming on. And uh, we will talk to you guys later.